Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is Genesis chapter 8 and the first half of Genesis 9, and that's page 9 in the Church Bibles. At the end of chapter 7, we read, The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air 
upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. And it will be a great help if you can keep your Bibles open at that reading from Genesis 8 and 9, page 9 of the Church Bibles. And as we turn to God's word, let's pray to him for help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word makes us wise about ourselves and about your world and about you. Father, please make us wise this morning. Please help us to understand what it means to live for you. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Several years ago, Lorna and I went camping in the south of France, midsummer. Uh, we thought it would be uh, lovely weather. And uh, I noticed before we went uh, on the trip that... Uh, one of the popular things to do was to hire a canoe and to travel down one of the rivers. Um, apparently, it's a, it's a stunning trip with uh, limestone cliffs and amazing wildlife. And so I said to Lorna, we, we've got to try this canoe trip. And uh, she wasn't uh, convinced. She wasn't very sure, but I kept campaigning uh, day in, day out. And eventually, she said, OK, we'll do it. 
and uh, I managed to find a company who would hire out the canoe. Uh, the idea was that you would drive to the top of the river, uh, leave your car, they'd give you the canoe, the kit, you'd um, head down a certain section of the river, they would come and pick you up at the end at, at an agreed stopping point. Um, easy, perfect. And so we um, set off one fine morning, and uh, it was a complete disaster. Uh, seven minutes into the trip, the heavens opened. And it absolutely lashed it down for two hours. Incredible rain. Um, our canoe began to fill with water, not from below, but from above. And uh, as we were uh, uh, paddling along, all I could see of Lorna sitting in front of me was this sort of hunched over figure with a hood up, uh, not saying a word, just, just grimacing and surviving as we uh, headed down the river. It was a grim trip, but the one thing that kept us going that stopped us from turning around was the knowledge that at the end of the journey there at the bank would be warmth and uh, maybe a hot chocolate and rescue and a nice minibus to take us back up to our car. Uh, It kept us going. We arrived at the agreed stopping point. We got out of the canoe onto the bank and there was no one. There was no hot chocolate, there was no minibus, there was absolutely literally no one there. It was deserted. Who would be out on a day like that? And we waited for an hour. No one came. You see, the company had forgotten about us. They just left us. And can I say, it is a terrible thing to realize that someone that you trusted in has forgotten about you, has left you. Now, I should say, I forgot to mention earlier on in the previous service that um, eventually we were rescued. We weren't left there forever, uh, a long story, but we did make it. But of course, there are more terrifying, more dreadful things that happen to us in life than being left on a rain-soaked riverbank in the south of France. There'll be some of us here today who are going through stuff in our lives, which frankly is, is agony. There'll be issues perhaps with our health, uh, fears about our future, possibly financial worries, uh, family tensions. Maybe we have lost a loved one. Maybe we're facing death ourselves. There are lots of things in life that are far more agonizing than being left on a riverbank. And so there may be some of us here this morning asking the far more agonizing question than, has a human let me down? Has a human forgotten me? There'll be some asking the question, has God forgotten about me has God abandoned me where is God in this life last week we left Noah in an incredibly lonely incredibly scary place if you remember last week um, chapter 7 verse 23 paints the picture for us every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Don't make the mistake of rushing to the end of this story. We all know what happens with the story of Noah in the ark. But Noah doesn't, not at this point. Don't rush to the end too soon. Verse 24, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Five months. Just imagine it. The darkness. There's no windows in the ark. You can't see out. 
Imagine the, the creaking and groaning of the wood as wave after wave smashes against the hull. You're wondering, is it strong enough? Have I built it well enough? Will it last? The sickening feeling of the ark rising and falling with the storm. At last Boxing Day, Lorna and I had to cross over from Stranraer to um, Belfast to visit family, and there was a huge Boxing Day storm. Our ferry crossing was cancelled. We caught one the next day, and it was still pretty rough. And for two hours, I was pretty scared as we rocked and crashed away across the Irish Sea. But we had windows, we had modern technology and stabilizers. I can only imagine how terrifying it would have been for Noah for those five months in the ark. His life hangs by a thread, and as month follows month, with no change, no improvement, he must have asked the question, has God forgotten about me? The answer before us this morning is utterly profound. It is profound not just for Noah, but also for us here this morning, because remember, this story of Noah is a foretaste of that greater final judgment when Christ returns. It'll be a much greater storm. And the answer that we find this morning for Noah will be the answer that we need to cling on to as we look forward to our futures. Our answer is there in 8 verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with them in the ark. God remembered. God does not forget. God made a promise to Noah back in chapter six. He said to Noah, a flood is coming. The world will be wiped out, but I will keep you. And in the future, I will make a covenant with you after the flood. There's the promise. And here in chapter 8, verse 1, we're told God remembered Noah. He remembered the promise he made to Noah. He has not forgotten. And in the rest of our reading, chapters 8 and chapter 9 of Genesis, we see what it means for Noah that God remembers him. There is a huge amount of detail in these chapters. We can't cover all of it, not if our lunch is to arrive at some point today. But I do want us to trace through, I think, three crucial words that help us to understand what it means when we read that God remembers Noah. And even though we're not Noah, I hope we can see how these three words will trace their way through to the New Testament and to our lives. I hope that these words will be a rock that we can stand on as we go through the storms and trials of this life and as we face the ultimate storm and trial of at Christ's return and the judgment that lies on that day. God remembered Noah. Well, what does it mean? Well, here's our first word. It means rest. It means rest. These are the first 17 verses. If you've been with us throughout this series, you know that uh, Noah, his name means rest. Rest. His dad, Lamech, back in chapter 5, named his son Noah because somehow he had a sense that through his son there would come rest and comfort to a world that is groaning under the curse of sin. And so far, there has been no rest. Being tossed around in a boat for 150 days is not rest. We're not there yet. 
But when God remembers Noah, do you see what happens next? Verse one, we're told that God sent a wind over the earth and the waters began to recede. In many ways, the, the flood is a picture of, of, a, of a world being decreated. Uh, water from below and, and water from above have, have met together and they have covered the land. And there's a blurring between the distinction between water and land. And that blurring of distinction takes us back to Genesis 1 before God stepped in and created the world where the waters covered the earth, where there is yet no boundary between water and land. And we're told back in Genesis 1 verse 2 that um, the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Uh, The word there for spirit is ruach, which also means wind. And here in Genesis 8 verse 1, we're told that God sends a ruach, a wind over the waters, and he starts to send the waters back. This is a picture of the world being recreated, just like it was back in Genesis 1 when it was created in the beginning. And what follows is a description of this recreated world taking shape. And so after 150 more days, verse 4, we read this. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters were on the retreat. The ark had hit a mountain. Land was emerging out of water And there is a wordplay going on here which we could so easily miss. Do you notice we're told that the ark came to rest on the mountaintop? Ring any bells? We've met that word before. It's the same root as Noah's name, the same idea. It's almost as if the ark kind of came to Noah on top of the mountain. The ark had found a resting place after the storm. Just a hint that rest is coming for Noah. Well, the waters recede further. A raven is sent out and then a dove goes, verse 9. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over the surface of the earth. There is another wordplay. The dove could find no place to set its feet, literally no place to rest. It's the same word, the same Roots as Noah. There is no place for this dove to find rest, not yet. And so it returns to Noah. But then finally, verse 12, the dove goes out one last time and we read, but this time it did not return to him. Which means the dove has found a resting place in this new recreated world. The ark has found it, the dove has found it, and now we're longing for Noah himself to find it. And as the story goes on, I think we see Noah stepping out of the ark to find rest. Verse 16, God says to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The world has been washed clean. The world has passed through the waters of judgment It has been recreated and now Noah and his family step out into this new world and we're meant to see, I think, that it's it's a place of rest. This was the destination for Noah. It's what his dad Lamech was looking forward to, at least in part. And what about us? When we read that God remembered Noah and he found rest, what about us? 
As we trace this forward to the New Testament, we read in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 that Peter says this. As he comments on the flood, he concludes in verse 9 and he says, The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Do you see the logic? If God could keep Noah through the storm of the flood and bring him to the recreated world, a place of rest, well, how much more can God keep all those who trust in him through the storm of final judgment into a new world, a new creation, a place of ultimate rest? God remembered Noah It's a great encouragement for us. I don't claim for one second to have all the answers about why God causes sorrow and suffering and storms in our lives. But I do know that when God promises, he keeps his promise. And the ultimate promise is that we will be kept through to that new creation. Noah's journey was not easy. There was fear. You can imagine him in the ark waiting for God's rescue, wondering if God would come. There must have been moments of profound fear. To live with a promise-keeping God does not necessarily rule out fear in our lives. We will, I guess, at times wonder and fear. And yet Noah kept trusting. Uh, There may be frustration. You can imagine Noah longing to leave the ark. He'd been there for months with all the smelly animals. He probably had enough of the in-laws, longing to be out, roaming this new world. And as the, the birds come and go and there's no land yet, he must have been frustrated, longing to step out and smell the fresh air. And there may well be frustration for us as we wait for God's promise to come to its fruition. And there may be times of uncertainty, waiting. We're told in 8 verse 1 that God uh, remembered Noah, but it wasn't until verse 16 that God actually spoke to Noah. There was a long gap of months, and Noah didn't necessarily know what God was doing. And there may be times of uncertainty for us. But God remembered Noah And God will remember us. Rest. That's the first thing that God brings Noah. Second, our second word is this. Relationship. Uh, Last week I mentioned the film called Noah that came out recently, uh, uh, loosely based on this biblical account of Noah. I do say loosely. Uh, There's lots in the film that uh, would surprise you. Uh, if you've read the biblical account. But there's one aspect to the film that actually has a ring of truth about it. Because as we watch the man Noah throughout the film, he's a man of anguish. Uh, the creator has told him that a flood is coming. The creator has told him that the world is evil and has to be judged and washed clean. And Noah believes it. But as Noah goes about building the ark and preparing for the flood, and as he uh, enters the ark... There was a, a, a heaviness to Noah. There was an anguish. And we only understand why later on. It's because Noah realizes that the evil that's in the world around him is also inside him. It's also in his family. And Noah puts two and two together and he, he realizes this. If God will judge all wickedness, then God must also judge the eight in the ark, which means that the, those eight must also die. And so as the film unfolds, Noah tells his family that they too must die for God to cleanse the world. Now, that dilemma that the film has put its finger on, it's a true dilemma. We see it time and again in the Bible. How can a a holy God live with a sinful people? 
How could it happen? It, it didn't happen in Genesis 6. God could not tolerate the wickedness. Well, what will happen in this new recreated world? Will the same thing happen? In the film, they kind of sidestep the problem. They don't really deal with it. And then at the end, somehow everyone's happy and there's a lovely world and it all works out well. But there's no explanation of how this tension is resolved. But we find the real answer in our reading this morning. What does Noah do when he steps out of the ark into this recreated world, this place of rest? Does he sit back and relax and go, great, I've made it. Let's just um, enjoy some, some rest and relaxation. Well, no, of course not. He offers a sacrifice. Verse 20 of chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Noah, what are you doing? (laughs) There aren't many animals around. And the first thing you do is you kill some of them and you put them on an altar and you burn them. But Noah is doing the wise thing. He's doing what he has to do. It seems that this was the plan all along because back in chapter 7, God told Noah to make sure that there was enough animals for his purposes. Uh, Two of the unclean, but, but seven of the clean. And now we know why. Because the first thing that Noah had to do in this recreated world was to offer a sacrifice, to kill these animals. And verse 21 tells us why. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. This is a huge moment in biblical history. We discover that the flood has done nothing to change the human heart. Do you see? It is still evil. Just as it was back in chapter six. Nothing has changed on the inside And so what will stop God from simply wiping out the world again? For he is a holy God and cannot live with a sinful people. Well, the film misses the answer. The answer is there for us. It is sacrifice. God smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice. And that is the key. And permit me one more wordplay, if you will. That word pleasing that describes the aroma Any guesses what that word actually means? It literally means rest. It's the same word group as Noah. It's literally a Noah-like aroma came floating up to God. And this time it is God who has brought rest. His anger towards sin is appeased. He is restful towards a wicked world, not because he's ignored the sin or wiped it away through forgetfulness, but because a sacrifice has been offered And that sacrifice has brought peace and rest to God. Relationship. That is why God rescued Noah. That is what rest looks like, to to live in relationship with God. And we see right here at the start of God's recreated world that his plan 
is always to have relationship with humanity. And the reason why God doesn't send another flood and wipe out the world again is because of sacrifice, which makes this relationship possible. The human heart never changes. We never grow up out of that wickedness. And so forgiveness, relationship, only ever comes through sacrifice. And right at the beginning of the Bible, as we see uh, our hearts and God's ways mapped out, we see that sacrifice is right at the center of what it takes for a, a holy God to live with a sinful people. And as we trace this through Scripture, we see that God is constantly longing for relationship, to dwell amongst his people, to live with his people. That's always been his plan. And yet, time and again, human sin is a barrier until finally that one perfect, once-for-all sacrifice came, the perfect lamb. He came and died on a cross to take away the sins of the world. The lamb that we remember uh, later on in our service as we share bread and wine together. That is a, a, a meal reminding us of the perfect, once-for-all final sacrifice of the perfect one who brings us final forgiveness of our sins. And what Noah knew right at the start of the Bible, we find fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice is central to our forgiveness. God remembered Noah, relationship. We've seen Uh, that God has brought rest for Noah. We've seen that God has made relationship possible for Noah. And finally, what does it mean for God to remember Noah? It means, lastly, it means reinstatement. It means reinstatement. You see, when God first created Adam and Eve back in Genesis 1, we're told that he, he commissioned them to be fruitful and to increase in number, to fill and subdue the earth. Well, look at what God says to Noah in chapter 9. Verse 1, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Or later on in verse 7, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. You see, it's, it's the same command that God gave Adam right back at the beginning, but it's been reinstated now to Noah after the flood. In other words, God's plan for the world hasn't changed. His plan is always constant. There is one plan, it's plan A, and that plan is to use somehow wonderfully humans to be his image bearers, to go throughout the world to bring blessing and fruitfulness and his reign to all the world. That's always been his plan, and it still is after the flood. And here God reinstates Noah to go and do this. And he sets this plan in stone, if you like, by making a covenant with Noah, the first covenant we read about in Scripture. And it's there in verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is God's lasting plan for the world. Why did God use a flood to destroy the wickedness of the world. I mean, I guess you could have used um, famine, you could have used disease, you could have used perhaps fire, but no, he, he chose a flood. He chose water from below and from above to, to cover the land. I think he chose a flood because he wanted to 
show us that he could decreate the world. He could go back on his plan, but he won't. And here in Genesis 9, he says once and for all, my plan is always going to be fixed. I will never go back on it. My, my creation is good. My plan for humanity is good. And I will find a way to use humanity to fill the earth and to bless it and to be fruitful. And that is God's overarching, lasting plan for the world. Noah is reinstated. And as we uh, think about our own place in this plan, we too are involved in it. And let me say this, our own personal salvation is not the only storyline at work in the world. Think of Noah, he's been rescued from the flood and he walks out into this new world and he could have said, great, I've made it, I can sit back and relax now, lucky me, God saved me. But that's not God's plan for Noah and for the world. You see, our own personal rescue is not the whole story, God has a plan for the whole world And yes, he rescues and saves us and brings us into that plan. But then he sends us out to be a part of a bigger plan for the world. To be a source of blessing and fruitfulness to all nations. And I fear sometimes we become very self-centered in our rescue and in our salvation. We get very me-centered. But God says, no, I have a plan for the world that I will not change. The rainbow tells us that when we look and see a rainbow in the sky, we are reminded of the sign that God will not go back on his plan for the world. And from now on, God looks down at the world. He doesn't see wickedness. He sees his rainbow, and he will not change his mind. And so as I finish, we would do well to remember that we have a job to do. We are saved for a purpose. And we don't have time to go through all the details of what it means to be fruitful and multiply. It means lots of things, caring for our world, uh, um, populating the world. But it must also mean spreading the great blessing of the news of salvation through the one perfect sacrifice of the Lamb. That is where blessing ultimately is found. That is where ultimate safe passage through the final judgment into the new creation is found. We have a job to do. God remembered Noah. And he remembers us. And when it says that God remembers Noah, it means that God brought Noah to a place of rest. And so he will bring us to a place of rest. It means that God found a way to have a relationship with Noah. And he has done that for us at the cross. And God reinstated Noah. And so to us, we have a job to do in God's world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that consistently in Scripture you are the promise-keeping God who remembers his promise and his people. Father, we thank you that we will never be left or abandoned by you, that no matter what happens to us in the storms of life, we can be confident that your purposes, your plans, your promises will come to pass. Please, may we be a people who build our lives on this solid ground. And may you keep us until that final day when we gather around the throne of glory, uh, praising you for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.